Shot is no good. The rebound tapped back outside. The cannon drives the lane. Blocked by Wolf. Rebound Pennsylvania. Dave Wall. Zabilski three on two to Wall in the middle. Up and good. Three on two fast break. Executed to perfection. Here comes Fields the other way for a foul. Gets to the foul line. Blocked from behind by Wall. Wolf with the rebound. No good. Rebound Bob Wolf. Pennsylvania. Hot left pass to Bilski. Taker's going to run again. Bilski has Calhoun and Wolf all the way underneath. Can he go through? Welcome back to the Penalty Box. I'm Sam Mitchell here, as always, with Carter Thompson and Mark Margolis, and we're really excited to be getting back into everything Penn Athletics, especially now that basketball season is in full swing. We had a full slate of games from both the men's and the women's team this week. Uh, we have a ton to talk about, so let's get into it. Yeah, I mean, three games for Penn men's basketball to start out the season, three victories. Um, they sure look pretty good to me. Um, much was what we expected in the preseason that team coming off of the Ivy League championship last season returned a lot of players from that team and they seem to have picked up right where they left off um, with a couple really nice wins to start the year. Um, I mean we've seen a lot of promise from AJ Broder kind of looking like an early uh, early favorite for Ivy League player of the year. Uh, even with the loss of Ryan Bentley we've seen a bevy of guards step up, Devin Goodman, Jake Silpy. Uh, Antonio Woods, Tyler Hamilton, Bryce Washington, the list goes on and on. And, you know, your best player, their their best perimeter player might be down, but I don't think my expectations have changed very much based off what I've seen. Yeah, it's still a super exciting time for the team. I mean, and it's, it's a testament to how good of a coach Donahue is and, and really how good of a recruiter he is that he's got all these guys that can kind of step up and fill that role in the guard position. Obviously replacing your top scorer, is daunting, and, and there's been a lot written on the DP about this, but uh, it really seems like they're going to be able to, to find that production. And, I mean, obviously the question always is if they can carry that into Ivy League play. They haven't necessarily been playing the stiffest competition so far. But Well, um, George Mason, to be fair, uh, they're pretty high in the Ken Palm, uh, projected to do pretty well in their conference this year. Uh, returning, They returned a lot of guys. I mean, that, that's, no, that's not a small win. Right. You know, might... In a way, it's one of those things where you might see it as, oh, because we beat them, they might not be that good. But I don't really know about that. I mean, George Mason is a quality win. Rice, I mean, Rice is Rice is bad. They're two ninety eight in Ken Palm. They were six and twenty four last year. If that, they might have been even worse. I mean, that's you know, that's a win to take with a grain of salt. And even Lafayette to a to a degree, but yeah, I mean, it's since, also the way they've won too. They've right. been dominant. They've, they've been convincing, which is good to see. Since losing by one point to Penn, though, George Mason has lost to both American University and Georgia Southern. Uh, so. I stand corrected. Then. I don't know. Well, you <laughs> no, know what? No, you were right. They were. They were. They're the a talented year. team. Yeah. No, supposed, certainly. Yeah. They were supposed to have a much better year than they have had so far. Um, and it has been kind of interesting, actually, to see how they have not just gotten out of the gate yet. Um, and, I mean, but, in, in their defense, you know, uh, they lost by one point to Penn. They lost by only three to America, and there's certainly time left to turn it around. You know, they have a solid schedule moving on. The A-10 is a, a good mid-major conference, so they'll have a lot of chances to, to turn things yeah, around. Part and, of and my point themselves. is that they, they come from a conference that gets at-large bids, right. and they're historically, in very even very recent history, not a bad team in that conference. And for Penn to beat them largely without Ryan Bentley... On the road. On the road. On the road. Middle of the week. Close, you know, they don't usually game. play. Yep. Penn usually played weekend games. It was an impressive win. 
Definitely. Really impre- I mean, you know, that game we saw Michael Wong really go off. And then it was really funny. So I wrote the column for the Rice game. And so me and Danny, another one of our writers, got there about an hour before the game, like for most students. And it's safe to say, based off who was there in the very beginning with us, Michael Wong is having a huge influence on people showing up to the game. I think he's single-handedly doubling student attendance. And for good reason. I mean, he's one of the most uh, scary athletic talents that Penn Recruiting has brought to this team in a long time. I mean, you know, as good as guys like Broder and Betley are, they're kind of the traditional types of talents that you expect Penn to get. And Michael Wong isn't. I mean, he's huge, athletic. He, uh, you know, just has all these raw skills. And, and, um, you know, with a coach as good as Donahue and and with a program like Penn, it's going to be really exciting to see how they work him into the system and and make that happen. Barring, you know, he hasn't really done much the past two games, and that doesn't take away from the fact that he still might be the most offensively talented player on the team. Right. And but for I think Max Rothschild being a lot more experienced, more solid the defensive end, we'd see Michael Wong playing thirty plus minutes a night, which he'll mm-hmm. probably be doing next year. Right. And and you know what, Penn is not Duke, right? It's this is not one of those schools where you expect the freshmen to come in and immediately start playing because they're going to be in the NBA in a year. Well, we kind of thought that after the first half against George Mason. <laughs> when he was in the media, I was four for four. The whole the icebreaker in the department meeting was, uh, it was how many years do you think Michael Wong will stay at Penn? And one like unsuspecting freshman was like, wait, why would he come here if, uh, if he's just going to leave? And we're like, He's not leaving after like yeah. He Michael Wong is not declaring early for the NBA draft. No, I mean certainly, <laughs> but and, and he, he had a good first half against George Mason. And he, he's very talented, but th- this is a four-year school. This is a school where guys come because they want to go to Penn primarily, and uh, basketball is so, a way to get them there. Exactly, and and so you know, there's time to develop him behind somebody that you trust, like Rothschild, who's been on this team a long time. He's considered a leader, and um, so I, I I mean I I think there's a lot of sense to that, and and if we can see him get starters minutes or even get some starts later in the season, that'll be great too. But but to build up to that, there's there's no reason not to do that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that he, like you said, is a tremendous offensive talent, and there's no doubt about it that he can help this team. But I think currently with the injury to Betley, the more impactful position that the Quakers need some help is at the guard spot. And so mm-hmm. I think that the committee of guys that they've been using with Silpy and Goodman and Bryce Washington, they almost have more of an impact on the court right now at this time than Wong is having just because it's out of pure necessity. Of course. Right. Of course. I don't think I, I mean, neither of them are the talent. Like, they, they don't have the talent that Wong has. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a way, I, I mean, obviously it's very early, but we really haven't seen that much of a drop. We haven't seen a drop-off, really. From what I, would, mm-hmm. I expected a lot more of an offensive drop-off. Definitely. Uh, for, after Betley went down, I mean, it will it will be more of a test come Ivy play, but um, I mean for now, Devin's looked unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, we were it's funny we were watching The Office and we saw someone, some like relatively short guard do a like I have throw down a dunk and we were like oh it's probably Bryce Washington and then we saw like people high fiving Devin we were like like wow like he can really get off the ground I mean yeah. he's one of we don't we don't necessarily associate him with being one of the scariest athletes on the team, but the dude has bunnies. Yeah, no, he's ridiculous. He's 
he's actually way more athletic, I think, than people think. Like, he went, ran, like, the 100 meter in high school, I think, is what I heard. Like, he was a track star in high school in addition to being so good at basketball. And you can see it with how shifty and quick he is on the court. And I think that he's just been a lot, you know, just very explosive this year, very early. And a big reason why the team has scored 92 and 91 points in their last two games. I mean, I don't care who you're playing. If you're putting up those kinds of points, that's, you know, definitely part of the reason is because Devin is playing so well early. The problem with only getting in the low 90s, though, is that it's not good enough to get free Abner's cheesesteaks for everyone in attendance. That is correct. And though I was not at the Lafayette game uh, in person, I was at the Rice game, I was covering, and I was ready to go to Abner's in case they broke the century mark, which they did not do. But... All joking aside, one point I want to touch on is the uh, the classic Donahue lineup shuffles. And we saw a little bit of that um, towards the end of the rotation with Ray Jerome uh, getting early minutes in the first half. He's junior. He's a junior. He came in when I came to Penn. And I've, like, I've, I've, I've never seen him play. Like, he, he's just never played. And now he, for whatever reason, Donahue decided to throw him in. And, you know, he played reasonably. He's, Hit a three, played solid D, but I mean, he, not- something, he notably know. got in before Jackson Donahue. So, you know, is this could could this be something that we see the rest of the season, or is this classic Donahue, you know, throwing throwing anything out there and seeing what works? I think it's you know uh, it's a mix of this is something we expect from Donahue. This is something he excels at is kind of finding what works by experimenting. Um, but that's exacerbated by the fact that he had one of his major pieces go down. That removes a lot of potential lineups that he was probably considering working on or, or had been thinking about. And so that means that he's going to have even more room uh, to experiment with things that he otherwise wouldn't have tried that, that maybe have a low probability of succeeding. But now that Betley's out, you know, there's a lot of minutes to go around and, and somebody's going to play them and in these early non-conference games. For Donahue, that could be literally anybody. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see who starts getting a lot more of these minutes, kind of like we've talked about recently, but who starts to get the minutes later on in Ivy play. But we hang on to these little, you know, nuggets and tidbits of, like, who we see come in in certain games and certain times. But I think that we might get a little bit of a sneak peek into it this weekend when the team travels down to the Virgin Islands to play in the Paradise Jam Tournament. Um, they're going to be playing against Northern Iowa on Friday, another mid-major team that's made some noise in the tournament in recent years. And then they have a potential to play Kansas State in the second game, who obviously Big 12 opponent, Power 5. And I think that those two games will be really telling because obviously if they pick up the win on Friday and you get to play the big boys on Sunday, that would be a good preview for the team as they start moving into this, you know, the latter part of their non-conference season. Yeah, that, that'll be a really fun matchup. Uh, Northern Iowa coming from the uh, Mountain Valley Conference. They're, they're basically tied with Penn and Ken Palm. I, we're, we're a couple spots ahead of them, but um, that should be a really close, fun matchup at a, at a neutral site. And, um, you know, if, if they can go, go anywhere in that tournament, that, that would be really exciting. So we'll, and we'll you hope know, for the best one- there. We can't. We would. It'd be remiss not to bring up the fact that Penn got a vote for the AP Top Twenty Five. Why? Who knows? This same guy, John Feinstein, who wrote a book about Ivy League basketball, I believe. Yeah. Also had Tennessee ranked 
Tennessee as the number one team in the country. So who knows where this guy's coming from? He clearly saw something in Penn. I mean, Tennessee had a three seed last year. Yeah, but the number one right. Like, have you seen, have you seen, Duke, have you seen, Duke, have you seen Duke play <laughs> at all? Yeah. You know? Is, do we still consider Duke a college basketball team? I guess. They're, nearly their entire no. starting lineup should be in the NBA. This is kind of a start. Three out of five. Three out of five that they're starting Fine. Lineup. Only Cam. a majority of their starting lineup should be in the NBA right Cam, now. Cam, Zion, and RJ are going to be lottery picks most likely. And they will start immediately. But, yeah. yes, like, I, By the way, I, I think yeah. that we'd be just absurd to pick anybody else other than Duke to win the national championship. If it was being played tomorrow. Definitely. Good thing it's not, because now Penn has a chance. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I'm, I actually have the box score up right now, and uh, I was we were watching the game a little bit in the office, and Zion Williamson, like, my God. This man's going to shoot. This man's shooting over 80% this season, and not just from wide-open layups. He can, you know, he can score from outside. He finishes. He makes tough finishes through the lane. He's a rebounding machine. I, he's like every bit of what we saw in like the highlight, you know, like all the House of Highlights clips when he was in high school. He's, like he is that guy, yeah. you know. He he is living up to the hype. And w- one thing that I think is so shocking is he's what to like two hundred eighty five pounds now. Mm-hmm. He's eighteen years old. He this kid could grow. I mean, when he hits his prime, he could be three hundred pounds <laughs> and be able to jump out of the gym. I mean, that's just vertical. ridiculous. He's bigger than Gronk, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, he should be a tight end, probably. Like, <laughs> he could play in the NFL. Like, he'd be an NFL prospect. He, he, he would. Easily. He could get snaps on the Patriots right now. <laughs> I'm sure Bill Belichick could easily use Zion Williamson. Like, I'm oh, convinced, no question. I'm convinced Zion Williamson could check in the training camp, and if like Bill Belichick like gun to his head was forced to use him, he'd be like. All right, fine. You, you wouldn't have to put a gun to his head. He'd be leaping for joy. Have you seen our receiving core this year? Uh, I mean, I'm more focused on my dreadful Eagles ruining their, ruining their Super Bowl comeback story. I mean, you guys are still going to win the NFC East just, like, by process of elimination. Not necessarily. Washington's playing pretty well. Yeah, but they're Washington, I mean. I, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I hope they win the NFC East, but... We'll what do you mean? I, I know that I hope they win, but... Yeah. We'll see, yeah, as the ultimate authority on myself, I do hope the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles win the NFC East. However, it is unclear whether they will do so. Also, and Carter, another one of my teams, uh, you seem to think that Rutgers, this take came out of nowhere. What was it, Rutgers by 50 over Michigan? Another, another prediction that didn't age well? I refuse to answer that until we discuss college football picks yeah. later in the, in the pod. Before right. we get to All that, right. we have to talk about this women's basketball team picked up a tight win over Siena. If you want to read a recap of that, I wrote one. It's on the dp.com. You should read it. Um, it's terrible. Got a lot of interesting stuff in there. We learned a lot about this team. Uh, also, it uh, as much as we learned, kind of started asking a lot of questions about how they're going to adapt to this post-Michelle Nochetti, post-Anna Ross, post-Lauren Whitlatch world that they now find themselves in. Um and I mean, we'll we'll uh, we'll get into talking about Alea Parker a little later, but um, just to to finish the recap, kind of. So they they get this win over Siena, and then they go and they uh, lose to Notre Dame. They lost by twenty, but it doesn't really give you an accurate sense of how they played. It was really, I mean, the, the game wasn't close, but they played Notre Dame close. You know, they they let up a couple kind of deep scoring runs, but other than that, really held their own. Um, and, and showed us a, 
you know, that nobody put up big stats. They're playing the number one team in the country and the defending national champions, but um, they looked good out there, and, and they, they're starting to build that chemistry that's going to be so crucial. And, and, you know, especially when you have a team that's so young like this one, um, that's really, really important in, in getting that kind of cohesiveness on, on both sides of the ball. So. I'd say they played as well as I expected. You know, it was to see who they were going against. You, no one could reasonably think they were going to keep it close after halftime. After the first quarter, they were down three and arguably outplaying Notre Dame. And then from there, you know, the talent took over. But right. No, I mean, prom- Notre Dame started to hit shots in the, exactly. in the second half, and then, then it was over. I mean, I saw some promising play from the guards. I mean, especially after Alea Parker was largely neutralized right. by a strong Notre Dame front court. I mean, we really saw uh, Kendall Grisella, even though, you know, her stat line might have been rough. You know, you saw, whatever, five turnovers, two assists. But she scored at an efficient rate. She had some really nice, like, Kyrie Irving-esque finishes. And I thought she was, in general, a pretty good floor general. Who had her uh, classmate Phoebe Sturba providing a boost off the bench. Right. So, I think when you see them go against Ivy level competition, um, you, you we'll see some strong guard play. Not you know, no one's gonna be Anna Ross, but like with Ryan Bentley, it takes a unit. And I think Penn women's basketball has the pieces in their lineup to to contend this year. Definitely, and I mean this is a really deep team. Um, I think it's something that we haven't talked about as much in the past just because they've been so top-heavy. Um, but, you know, they, they've got a really strong rotation, both among the guards and the bigs. Um, you know, Alea Parker, Princess Aguieri, and, and Tori Crawford are all kind of holding those positions down and, and, and doing a pretty good job. Um, and so, you know, it, it'll be good to see McLaughlin kind of, you know, we talk a lot about Donahue experimenting with lineups. Hopefully we see the same thing from McLaughlin. Um, and just see him kind of utilize that depth and, and that, that bench, because that, that's going to be really important when you don't have a team where the starters are just lights out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, you guys have obviously been more tuned into those couple games than I have, but it seems like this is the type of year for them where they have a lot of people who step up into those roles that have been left, un, or not unfilled, but have left been left void by losing those three key seniors who you mentioned. Um, but like Mark said, I think that they do have the pieces to contend this year. I think that they've got capable players who can come in and contribute both who are starters and who are coming off off the bench. And so I think it's going to be fun to watch them play these next couple weeks as they start kind of rounding into form um, before the Ivy League season kicks up. Definitely. Let's get into some college football marquee games as we have uh, for the past several weeks. I don't know, how, how did everyone do last week? I know Alabama just barely didn't cover the spread, so I was wrong. I think you guys both picked Mississippi State to cover. No, I didn't pick Mississippi State. Oh, you State didn't? Okay. No, I... Just, just Carter, that was me and my expert football knowledge. Congratulations, Carter. Um, what else? So our first marquee matchup is number three, Notre Dame, taking on number 12, Syracuse. At a neutral site, the line is minus 10.5 in favor of the Fighting Irish, who are looking to continue their undefeated season, possibly en route to a spot in the college football playoff. Um, and the Syracuse Orange having a great season. This is not a school that always has a good football team or, or even often has a good football team, but they do this year, and they've been playing really well. So I don't know who, who wants to go first on this one. I mean, I think this is going to be a really entertaining game to watch. Syracuse is, like you said, Sam, I mean, they've had a really good season this year. Um, they're led by Eric Dungy at quarterback, who's just been playing really phenomenal. Um, 
and I mean, it's going to be played at Yankee Stadium. That'll be really entertaining to watch. But I watched Notre Dame just really dismantle Florida State last week. And what I really didn't realize until last week watching that game was how many juniors and seniors are in the starting lineup for Notre Dame. Like, you were going down their entire roster, and it's just a bunch of dudes who have been there a really long time who are really good and just are, they really know just how to get it done. Um, and so I'd be hard pressed to pick them losing to anybody. Um, Alabama. So maybe Alabama. <laughs> but man, they've just got so many veterans. It's just, they just know what they're doing. Um, so I'm definitely taking Notre Dame in this one for sure. How about against the spread? Um, I'll take them over the spread. Okay. Great. Mark? Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely going to pick Notre Dame harder and kind of outlined a lot of my points. But definitely looking at their past matchups, I think Syracuse, I don't think they cover the spread. I think Syracuse keeps I – think, I think they win by a touchdown or a field goal. It's one of those crazy, I think, like final drive wins or stops on the defensive end. And it's just kind of like, look, they only beat Northwestern by 10. And Northwestern, although they're going to the Big Ten Championship somehow at 6-4, and four, um – uh, Pitt played them tough. You know, they squeaked by Michigan, who ended up being really good. Ball State, they only beat by eight points. And this is, the, you know, they've looked good, but they're not blowing teams out of the water. Teams that are far worse than Syracuse, you know, they've struggled to blow out. So, right. I, you know, I don't see them pulling away from Syracuse. I don't really see them losing, but I can't see them winning by more than a touchdown. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, Mark. Um I think Notre Dame's going to win. I don't think they're going to cover. You know, they, they, they play such a different style of football than Alabama. I think that's what it really comes down to. They're not this, you know, flashy, you know, team led by a, a quarterback like Tua that's just putting up points after points after points. They don't kind of step on the neck like that so early in the game. They're just a solid, consistent. I mean, it's what you would expect from a veteran-led team. They play very consistent football. They're very good at it. And they win football games, but it's not flashy the way that Alabama is. And uh, I think that's why they're, you know, I think they're, they're going to beat the Orange. It, it, it may even, like, it, it may be one of those games that feels like it was never really in reach, but uh, ends up being kind of close anyway. Um, also, but, keep yeah. in mind, uh, shout-out to Brian Kelly for making a tough quarterback change. You know, Wimbush was going in. He was a starter against Michigan. Played pretty well, but struggled in the next couple games. And even with you know with an undefeated season on the line, a likely book birth to the college football playoffs, Brian Kelly made a switch to Ian Book, and their offense has exploded because of it. I mean, they're still ma- they still managed to beat uh, Carter's beloved Florida State Seminoles with uh, their bench starter, but Ian Book is back, and I think that's another reason why uh, why they'll come away with the win, but not by more than ten and a half. For those listening who aren't in the room right now, uh, Carter was hitting himself in the head with chapstick in just kind of dismay at the mention of his Florida State Seminoles. You know what? It's okay. We're just not going to go to a bowl game for the first time in 37 years, but it's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's like the meme when like the guy's typing on the computer and it's like fire all around him. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, Everything is fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. It's been totally fine. It's not fine. It's okay. Everything's great. <laughs> well, uh, we got two more really exciting matchups. And unfortunately, neither involving the Florida State Seminoles. Um, but we've got number 15, Texas, 
hosting number 16, Iowa State. The line is minus 2.5 Texas, which means Vegas thinks these teams are just about even. Um, Texas getting a slight edge on the line because they're home, but this should be a really close matchup. Uh, Want to give us your thoughts, Carter? Hook them. No, I'm kidding. I'm picking Iowa State in this one. <laughs> I like the Cyclones. This guy. <laughs> I like the Cyclones this week, honestly. Um, I just got a good feeling about this one. Really nothing Really nothing else. I don't know that much about either of these two teams, but um, I like the Cyclones to pull out the slight upset, like you said. Two evenly matched teams, and I like Iowa State in this one. I'm going to disagree with Carter and pick my uh, hook'em horns, baby. Uh... Not psych, but uh, you know they they looked they looked good last week against Texas Tech. Came away with the win in a high scoring game. Uh, Iowa State's had a bit of a quarterback uh, carousel with their starter Kyle Kemp going down. They a bunch of guys have stepped in and actually played really well, but you know Texas has been pretty consistent all year, and I think they're going to uh, yeah I think they're gonna, I think they're going to come out with a win. Yeah, I uh, I'm going to go with Iowa State as well, Carter. Um, I think. You know, these are two really evenly matched teams, and uh, and when you have you know such a tough decision between two very good teams, you got to go with something totally arbitrary. And so uh, I'm going with um, uh, a football player from my high school named Bobby DeNaro. Um, got recruited to play at Iowa State. He's currently a f- uh, sophomore there. I'm not sure if he plays. He was really good for like my small Massachusetts high school. Um, I haven't really followed it much since we weren't that close, but I don't know anybody who plays at Texas or who even goes to Texas, or I don't even really know where Texas is, to be honest with you. So I'm going with the Iowa State Cyclones, uh, and uh, I think they win, cover, and uh, shout out Bobby. So. Well, roll damn tide. <laughs> What's the guy's name? Bobby what? Bobby DeNaro. DeNaro. All right. Yeah. I'm going to do a deep stalk of him. Okay. Well, let's In move on. In a weird way. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, he's a walk-on. Are you sure? Yeah, it said he chose to walk on to Iowa State over an offer from UMass. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, all right, anyway. So our next marquee matchup. Can you edit out the stalking part? Yes, I'm going to. <laughs> Classic. All right. Our next marquee matchup is number 11, the defending national champion, UCF Knights, or whatever their friggin' mascot is, versus uh, number 24, Cincinnati Bearcats, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that because they're a basketball school. Um, (laughs) uh, UCF is hosting the Bearcats. Um, They obviously get a ton of media attention after their undefeated season last year, trying to keep that alive this year. This will be a a big test for them. I think that other than this game, they've just got the game against uh, South Florida near the end of the season, and uh, those are their main two big matchups left, if my memory serves correctly. But uh, what, what do you guys think about this one? I we, don't, we don't usually do the mid-majors on the No, pod. yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is a fun matchup. Both teams in the American Conference, obviously. Um, I, I just don't think UCF's getting any love at all from the college football playoff committee. I think it's a shame. Why should they? This is a good football team. This is a really, really good team. I think that the fact that they're 9-0 speaks a lot. Um, Against who? Against good teams, Mark. Really? They play in the American. Yeah, they play the same teams Alabama plays. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. No, fair my, point, Sam. My main point, my main point here really is that this is a better football team than a lot of people give them credit for, and I think that Cincinnati is also a good football team, but 
I just think UCF's going to pull this one out, playing at home. Um, but definitely big implications for the rest of the college football playoff because, you know, if UCF wins this game and keeps going and going and going, then they're going to kind of be the elephant in the room, literally and figuratively, um, in terms of them seeding the rest of these teams. So I want to root for chaos, and so I'm rooting for UCF. Well, I think the old argument about how much respect they deserve from the committees separate than, you know, who's going to win this football game. And I agree with Carter. I think UCF is going to come out with a win. You know, they haven't, when was the last time they lost? Two years ago, and I don't see them losing again this week. I love their quarterback, Mackenzie Milton. You know, as a full, as a short man myself, even though he is 5'11", and I'm only 5'9", I do appreciate the small quarterbacks. Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield, Mackenzie Milton. And I think... Uh, and Mark Margolis. And Mark Margolis. Uh, <laughs> referring to myself. Two-time Cayman Cup champion. It's true. It's true. I am that. But uh, definitely coming out the win. I'd love after Sam makes his pick, which will probably be UCF, but who knows. Uh, but, um, you know, to discuss, how much respect should UCF get from the committee? Yeah, so I'm also going with UCF. Uh, I think they're campaign you know has just been so exciting and uh they're a really good football team and 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 what's so great about it is they're not just all talk they back it up on the football field you know they they sometimes have trouble i think scheduling the kind of games that you'd like them to play so they really have to back it up when they play a um a top 25 team like they are i mean you just look at when they got the chance to play auburn last year and they they just handled them so i think when they get those chances they kind of rise to the occasion and, and i expect to see a victory here so here's my counter to the Auburn thing. So yes, they. I'm not saying they're a bad football team or incapable of hanging with the top teams in the country, but they do not play top-level competition week in, week out. And it's different when you're playing an SEC schedule or SEC Big Ten quality teams every week versus once a year in a bowl game when you have two to three weeks to prepare. Like, I, think I mean, Auburn had two to three weeks to prepare. They did, and I, well, the point is that I'm not saying that UCF can't hang, but if you put them with Auburn's schedule, and they're playing week in, week out, Alabama, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, like all these decent, you know, be- at least better teams than they usually play. Sure, but Alabama got into the college football playoff last year with two losses. UCF didn't have any. Now, I'm not saying so, UCF should have gotten in over Alabama, but I'm saying that your argument that they wouldn't go undefeated in the SEC doesn't really hold any water for me because they wouldn't need to go undefeated. Especially because they beat South Carolina. Oh, South Carolina State. Whoops, sorry. Ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You really almost... You really, you know, Carter almost <laughs> drilled a hole straight through my argument. And then he read one line over. He was like, South Carolina... Nonetheless, they beat Florida Atlantic 56-36. They beat Pitt, who is probably going to win the Coastal in the ACC 45-14. true. Shout out Pitt. Um, they beat Temple 52-40. Temple's had a good year. You haven't, and they named, like, you haven't made like, a good team. Those are all quality football teams. Temple's like 6-4 and four against like a whack schedule. Hey, but then they got they, – so they're still playing. I never they, said – They, never they said. beat South Carolina State, which is basically South Carolina, which is basically <laughs> Clemson, okay? And Clemson won the national title two years ago, so you tell me. And Clemson sent players <laughs> to the NFL, so that means – Right. You know, but uh, – Give them their freaking Lombardi trophy already, all right? It's too long overdue. Look, you, I'd be remiss to say that UCF's a bad football team. They're not. In fact, they're, they're a very, very good football team. 
But in terms of love they should get from the committee, name a team currently in the playoffs that you would bump out for UCF. Would that be? (laughs) (laughs) Really? We'll see how we'll, you know, we'll see the comp- Bonafide <laughs> scrubs. <laughs> I think it's a little too early you for know, that. You know, maybe if they lost to Rutgers like you predicted, you could have a case, but they didn't lose to Rutgers, or anyone by that matter, except for Notre Dame, who is also projected to make the college football playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I think um, that right now it would be tough to take any of these teams out, but it's unlikely that... Um, none of those teams put, picks up an additional loss, and once that happens, it's going to become. A, assuming UCF stays undefeated, it's going to become a lot more. I mean, if Alabama picks up a loss, it's a different discussion. But I mean, they're not going to. But if if one of the other three that are currently in the top four um, picks up a loss, or even like like for Michigan, if they got their second loss, you know, my expectation would be that UCF would not kind of even rise into that conversation, and I think they should. So if, uh, if not the top four teams win out, I think that I would be okay with UCF being excluded. Mm-hmm. But if, if they don't, you know, then we need to at least have that conversation. And I think it's a conversation that they're not willing to have. No doubt about it. Now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, Hard Nose Player of the Week. Each week, Carter, Mark, and I uh, pitch a member of Penn Athletics to be the, the toughest person from the past week. And then a very special guest comes on the pod and tells us who's the winner. This week, it's print director Chris Maraca. Chris, welcome. Thank you. We're very excited to have you here. Um, I know you're a big sports fan and um, really excited to get your expertise and insight. So thank you for being with us. Perfect. All right, so uh, I'm going to go first. Um, this week, I'm going with uh, Alea Parker, the sophomore superstar center for Penn women's basketball. Um, she is incredibly talented, and I mean, this is not uh, a hot take at all. We knew she was incredibly talented last year when she was Ivy League Rookie of the Year. We knew coming into this season that uh, as a sophomore and, and with a lot of uh, outgoing seniors from the last team that her role would expand, and it has. Um, I'm pitching her this week, which might seem a little strange to people that watched the two games. They played Siena and Notre Dame um, because she didn't have an incredible week. I mean, she, uh, she played really well against Siena. She did a really good job of uh, kind of using her presence in the paint to um, get open shots for her teammates. She, she's a really incredible passing big. I don't think we talk about that enough, but uh, and, and what I mean by that is like she, um, she's very good at pulling defenders and um, finding, getting the ball to her teammates when, when they're open, and, and she's very willing to pass up kind of taking a, a contested shot. Uh, in favor of an open shot for one of her teammates. She's not selfish at all. Really one of the least selfish basketball players I've ever seen. That's not what makes her tough, though. What makes her tough this week is that they played against Notre Dame. Notre Dame is the number one team in the country. They won the national championship last year, and they're really, really good. And they're especially good at the position that Alea Parker plays, which means she was being defended by uh, some of the best people at that role in the country. And... She still, I mean, she played a ton of minutes, as she always does. She goes out there, and she's, she's really tough. She's <coughs> fighting for rebounds. She got to the line a lot, which means she like, got a lot of fouls. She was playing really physical basketball. I mean, the whole team was. And, and even though they lost to Notre Dame, they played a lot better than Harvard did. Harvard, <coughs> I'm sorry, I ate pizza right before the segment. Um, <laughs> they played a lot better than Harvard did earlier in the week. And uh, she especially demonstrated to me that she has that grit 
that uh, she's going to need to really be a good leader for this Penn women's basketball team, even as a sophomore. Okay, okay, that's a good pitch so far. Uh, I'm switching sports, but Repa shouting out one of her classmates, sophomore uh, Penn men's soccer defender Alex Touche. Uh, just to start off, it's been a pretty tough year for Penn soccer. Five, five, and six, two, five, and one. The Ivy, and this is a team that you know they really weren't playing for anything besides pride, and they come out with a double overtime win off a header from out from Touche and Touche, right? And what is impressive about is that he's a defender who came all the way up, you know, from his position on a, on a, uh, on a free kick, uh, leaped over the Harvard defender, and uh, propelled Penn Men Soccer to one of its few victories of the season. And it's one of those things where he is, he is setting the building blocks for what could be a strong year next year. You know, they, uh, it hasn't been a great run for them this year, but he's been one of the bright spots. And in a game that you know really didn't mean that much, he really came out and uh, and uh, did a lot for them. And I think that's why he had maybe not the flashiest performance, but one of the tougher performances to come out with an overtime goal. Well, I think that those are both great pitches. But you know what's really cool are wins. And you they, want to know what's even cooler than win. that? They did win. Women's basketball are, also won. Are the performances of those <laughs> who helped the team get to the wins. And so for that reason, I'm going with junior guard Devin Goodman, who has just been a beast in the absence of Ryan Betley, came in and picked up the slack for his injured teammate. He scored 15 points in their game um, against Rice, and then he scored 16 the other night in their game against Lafayette. And he was just driving to the basket, getting to the lane, going through a ton of defenders. Just a really gritty and hard-nosed performance from this dude. He's a tank love watching him play, and he's the obvious choice for me. Carter, Rice, Lafayette, they're among the best teams in the country, right? I, I, don't, I don't follow it a ton, but just, hey, yeah. Hey, just you know what? Clear, all <laughs> three of us contributed. All three of our players contributed to wins. It was not just yeah. Carter, just so we're clear. <laughs> okay. Everyone Devin contributed, contributed to, to three wins. <laughs> I mean, And he helped them put up 92 and 91 points, respectively. All right, well, that's a different argument than the one you made previously. I just didn't elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, I don't know if you have any questions for us um, or any thoughts to yeah, share. Yeah. So maybe, Mark, tell me a little bit more about the standout performance of, of your chosen player. Like, why do you think that his success is the best? Well, to compare to, uh, to Carter, Devin Goodman is not as much of a necessity to Penn men's basketball as Alex Tush is to soccer. And by that, I mean he has had countless, he's contributed, I think, two or three game winners, and they have five wins on the season. I mean, this is a guy when he shows out, Penn men soccer gets a dub. And last time I checked, Car Devin didn't have a great game as in, uh, against George Mason, and they still won. So, you know, I think he is more essential to the team's success, and in the time frame that we are discussing, which is a week, Penn men's soccer is one and zero. Penn women's basketball is uh, one and one. one and one. And I think Alex is more crucial to the team than Devin Goodman. So is. obviously he's important. Uh, what makes him tough? Makes him tough. He had a game-winning header in double overtime. I thought that was pretty yeah. self-explanatory in that sense. I'm sure Chris understands as a very astute sports mm -hmm. mind. Uh, 
when I look for a gritty player, I'm not as into the the flashy. Obviously, you know, you get out there and on the soccer pitch and you, you he plays deep. He he was doing all he was doing all the gritty stuff, and then when they needed the well, flash, should have mentioned that. Well, I did now. <laughs> I think it's time we let Chris decide. Yes. I agree. Unless okay. you have any outstanding questions. No, I think I think I've come to my own decision. Great. So, after thoughtfully considering all three of your fantastic pitches, I think I am going to go with Sam's choice this week. And the one thing that I always look for in thinking about grit is the resilience factor and the ability to persist even when your team isn't doing the best or even when they don't produce a win immediately on that game. It's the willingness to step back up, get back on the court or get back on the field and do better the next game and inspire the team. And so I think Sam's pick best describes that. Great. I hope Uh, that works. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, Thank you, Carter and Mark, as always. Um, Thank you to the DP and DP Sports and Allie Johnson, who's the podcast editor. We'll be back next week.